Hey guys, welcome to Apologets Discipleship. I'm Ben Mitten. And I am Casey Finn. And today we are going to be talking about a really uh, hot topic, Casey. Yeah. And especially within the um, evangelical world and those who maybe are non-believers yet still have an interest in biblical topics. Right. Um and it's becoming a more and more popular level objection that I think, at least in my experience, as long as I've been a Christian, it definitely wasn't as big of a deal um, whenever I first got into apologetics as it is now. Now, uh, it's something that comes up regularly. So you hear about it from I, I do. I do hear about it. I think that it's one of the... It's sort of the the problem that you want to trot out if you're a skeptic or you want to really just uh, malign uh, scripture or Christianity, this is what you're going to bring up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have told you that for me, it is my biggest um, issue. I mm-hmm. think the, the thing that I have had to think through probably more than any other issue in the Bible. Well, well maybe in the future, we'll, uh, maybe for the next podcast we can do mine. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be that'd, that'd be, be fun. Yeah, let's, so let's, maybe I, yeah. maybe I can hint at it at the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for this time, um, what we're going to be talking about is what's commonly referred to as the slaughtering of the Canaanites. Right. That's how it's brought up. And so the idea, the the the, the picture that is painted is that you had these uh, Canaanites who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They're in Israel's way. And uh, God just decides to command uh, the Israelites to just go in and, and wipe out every breathing, living thing mercilessly to not leave any survivors. And that includes women, men, children, yeah, babies, it, yes. old people who can hardly walk. Yeah, they're going into uh, nursing homes yeah. and you know yeah. just annihilating everybody they see. Yeah, and uh, even the animals. Right. You know, just just wipe them all out, and and so that's normally the the painted picture. And you know, Casey, I think that you're definitely not alone in saying that this text can be bothersome. I think a lot of Christians uh, would be lying to themselves. They never approach these texts and just sort of grit their teeth a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And uh, I think, though, that we, we do ourselves a disservice by not putting it in the proper perspective. And I think that yeah. uh, you gave a gave a, a picture just a little bit ago before the podcast when we were talking. Uh, and so go go through that. So the, the way that I kind of compared it um, is it would be like if I was telling you a story and I said, you know, that there was this group of, of men, armed men, mm-hmm. who um, just broke into this guy's house and they went upstairs. It was in the middle of the night and they ripped him out of bed from his wife who was sleeping soundly next to him mm-hmm. 
and um, his children who are in the next room and, and his wife and children wake up as this takes place and they're dragging him out of the house and his, his young children are screaming and crying because they're, they're seeing their dad getting pulled out and, and the, these group of men throw him into a car and they drive off to their headquarters and they, they throw him uh, you know, down into a room, they, they close the door, they lock it, they mm-hmm. uh, you know, keep him there overnight. And meanwhile, his family is just weeping yeah. and so sad. And we yeah. hear something like that, and you would think, yeah. "Man, what a bunch of jerks!" Yeah, and and you yeah. know something they they're in the wrong, and, yeah. and something needs to happen. Yeah. And, but then that's kidnapping. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and what? How yeah. horrible! Yeah, right. Yeah, but. Then, if you if you hear the other part of the story that the group of men were police and this man had just committed a string of, of murders, yeah. and they were trying to get in mm-hmm. and, and put a stop to it as fast as they could, yeah, it totally puts a different spin on things, right, 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 right. and and though you know somebody might not agree with exactly those tactics or whatever, um, it. It changes things when you realize that somebody's trying to stop injustice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but when we just have part of the story, mm-hmm. when we don't have the whole context, mm-hmm. we can we feel something when we hear about somebody being taken or you know an execution or whatever. Yeah. But when we understand the the fuller picture, it really does change the way that we look at it. Yeah. And I feel like that is the way that it is with the Canaanites. When we just read, you know, perhaps a verse that talks about God's command to destroy the mm-hmm. Canaanites. And that's all we read. Mm-hmm. It can feel like hearing the story of this group of men coming in and, and taking this man from his home. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the full context of what else has taken place. Yeah. And I think, too, that like we even had a... Well, we, we had probably the same amount of context, really, if you think about the flood narrative. Yeah. Like, all you have is that, well, the earth was filled with violence... Right. All flesh was corrupted with violence, you know, and and that's and that's it. I mean, uh, and and for these, the where you get these glimpses of what was occurring, maybe just in uh, in places like the prophets, or yeah. or little little hints here where you see like maybe they're uh, doing child sacrifice, and the Lord is warning. Israel not to do the same practices that so and so did, right. and that's the only way that you find out what these nations were up to. Well, you know, and yeah. it, it, you saying that it reminds me. It's yeah. one of the things I really like. I, I may have told you this yeah. that I really like about the movie Noah. Okay. Did you see the movie Noah? I did. Yes. Okay. One of the things that I really liked about it is I think it painted a very good picture of the conditions. <laughs> That, that led to the flood. Because mm-hmm. if you'll remember, mm-hmm. um, there's a, a point right before the flood when Noah goes into the city in order to get a wife for Ham. Okay. And when he does, he's in the city, and it's like this mass of people mm-hmm. who are, you hear women being taken away, children, you know, uh, raped. Yes. You know, uh, you, uh, you uh, see uh, animals, be, babies being thrown into the air. You yeah. see this one scene where these animals, um, they, they grab this animal and they just tear, tear it into apart. it. Yeah. 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 And it's still alive and it's screaming. And you just see this, the chaos, and you mm-hmm. see the violence portrayed. Yeah. So, so when we think of the world is filled with violence, we're thinking about a world like ours where there's a government and police yeah. and armies and yeah. things and yeah. sort of 
you know, there's still order, but yeah. it's just, yeah. you know, there's violence on the yeah. news every night. So, yeah, the newsman can just say, man, violence has risen. Right. You know, but what they're experiencing <laughs> is it, the world is so violent that in order to survive, you have to be violent. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, you know, so in other words, it, it, it's a world that's so bad that there's no way to live mm-hmm. a holy, loving life. Mm-hmm. Because if you try and love people, mm-hmm. if you try and serve people, you're going to be killed automatically. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That's the level of violence that it is. It's yeah. like violence then becomes the only option for living yeah. and surviving. Yeah. So <clears throat> whenever we come to this... this uh, topic of the Canaanites. Right. I think it's worth noting uh, a, a couple a couple preliminaries and this, this touches on this this co- context that you just alluded to with with the story and with the flood. And that would be that one is to remind ourselves of the patience and long suffering of God. Right. Um because so, that's one of the few pieces of context we get yeah. in the Canaanite story. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. Um, so, for example, uh, in Genesis fifteen sixteen, you have the idea of the, the sin of the Amorite, which is a Canaanite people group, has not yet reached its limit. Right. And so that tells you already, way back in Genesis 15, God already has his eye on this Canaanite people, at least a portion of them, and he says they're heading in a wrong direction. Right. You know. And this is over 400 years, yeah. right? Oh, yes. Before any kind of command yes. to drive out the Canaanites takes place. Right, right. And, and the term Canaanite, uh, Casey, would that be an umbrella term that encompasses many different people groups? Right. I think there's aren't there like five different Some, something Canaanite like that. peoples. Yeah. 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 Um, there's the 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 Jebusites. Uh, would the Hittites be a Canaanite group? I think they're from the north. Okay, Mosquito I, I don't think bites. they are, but they, I think the Amalekites. What did you say? Mosquito bites. <laughs> <laughs> I did that one time. Anyway. Could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the the Amorites and the Amalekites. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there's a number of them that are there. I think there's maybe five or so. Okay. And so the Lord is is waiting about. 430 years right. before before something is something is done and so you could just imagine what uh, we would say if there was a if there was another nation right and we knew that just terror was raining down on innocent people uh, because of these nations and uh, and we could do something about it right. And 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 some uh, leader got up there and said, uh, and and let's just uh, again imagine that uh, we have the capability. So we have the capability to do something about it. And someone said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and give it four hundred and and thirty years before we do anything. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, Hitler has risen to power, <laughs> and the Nazis have invaded Poland. Yeah. We're going to wait for four hundred fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> then see, see how things we'll address, go. Yeah. See how things go. Right. You know? Right, uh, and, and so we see the patience of the long suffering. Absolutely, patience of God. There. Yes, yes. Well, and I think something else that's really important for us to recognize is that this is not a 
one-time thing. This isn't something where God just decided to pick on the Canaanites. That this is the way that throughout history that the world has gone. When evil groups have arisen, I mean, you can look at history. When there's been an evil empire, um, other nations have come in and eventually destroyed that evil empire, right? I mean, from the very beginning until even today, uh, no nation, no kingdom or empire has been able to go on forever. And so we see this not only with regard to the Canaanites, but later on we see it happening to Israel itself. When Israel has gone into idolatry and is doing wicked things, and God allows the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come in and basically treat Israel like Israel had done Can- you know, the Canaanites. Um, so that's the other thing I think that's important to consider, because a lot of times this gets termed a genocide. Yeah, But this was not about... A destroying, annihilating a total, you know, a people group. Right. This was about displacing a nation mm-hmm. who had become so wicked that the only way to stop the injustice was to remove them from their current positions. Yeah. And and that that what you said there, not about annihilating a people group, that is going to come up here in a, in a little while because it almost can read if you're not careful as if. That's exactly what happened. They annihilated the whole people group, and then right. all of a sudden, there's a surprise a couple of chapters later. Right. Uh, what I wanted to touch on as well was that someone may think to themselves, well, you know, what if what if these people, is God just sort of partial to Israelites? What if they would have turned or something like that? Right. Well, we have an example where God did, did send a prophet to a non-Israelite people and they did turn, and God was promising destruction. It would have happened. That is that is the people of Nineveh because he sent Jonah. Right. And whenever the people did turn, Jonah was angry because he thought Nineveh shouldn't have been uh, saved. Right. And that God shouldn't have sent him there, but God was more merciful than Jonah. Right. You know, and so a proclamation of judgment is coming down. Yet the people repent, and so God uh, relents of his judgment. Mercy has its day. And the same kind of promise is given to Israel at one time, like that he would turn away judgment, but they would not repent, and judgment did come. And so the Lord is not uh, partial. Uh, He doesn't play favorites. And so... Uh, that that idea that you know he just really didn't like the Canaanites, he really loved the Israelites, right. uh, is is just a false narrative. Absolutely, I think it's worth mentioning that for for the this episode and for this issue um, that we really were able to draw a lot from what book? Oh, it is God a Moral Monster by Paul Copen. Subtitle is Making Sense of the Old Testament God. He's, he gives three chapters just on this topic alone. It's got a chapter is called Indiscriminate Massacre and Ethnic Cleansing. Question mark is why I read it without inflection. <laughs> and it's got part one, two, and three. Uh, and so everything that I've shared uh, so far, uh, I've shared some stuff that maybe perhaps wasn't explicitly mentioned in the book, but... Uh, I'm just on the one one and a half pages in right now. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the three chapters, and so uh, yeah, it's it's just chock full, and uh, he gives some information in the book that you may not be able to get from your common commentary, right. like comparing the um, 
comparing the sayings or the verses that talk about this judgment to other uh, texts, non-biblical texts that talk about judgment. And he, he brings an example that this is uh, most probably understood as a case of uh, hyperbole. Right, right. That when you look at, and he also compares this to things from like, um, like you said, from other cultures where they discussed uh, the pleasure with which they annihilated people. Mm-hmm. And we don't find that kind of torturing that we right. find in their writings in mm-hmm. Scripture. God was not sanctioning torturing these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really important to recognize. There's a couple of important points, and I don't know kind of what direction you're wanting to go next. Okay. But there's a couple of really important points, I think, worth mentioning about the language that's used here. Mm-hmm. That the language of destroying the city of what the, the Bible calls harem, um, yeah. that's the, the term for like the destruction that you devote it uh, devoted to destruction, I think, so a lot of uh, English translations will translate it. Um, and then it will talk about it being uh, male, female, young, and old. That That is sort of stock language mm-hmm. that's used, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean there were male, female, young, and old. It just is stock language. Yeah. Um, he brings up the fact that the cities that are mentioned about, you know, that are destroyed mm-hmm. are m- kind of military strongholds. Yeah. And that it's highly likely that the women and children would have lived outside of these places, that they would have been in communities outside, that these were primarily places where military people were stationed. Right. Um, so that that is a really important um, element. Yeah. Um, and like you said, th- there were opportunities given for peace. I mean, Rahab is a Canaanite, right? Yeah. And yet she, because she turns to, mm-hmm. you know, turns away from mm-hmm. that way of life, mm-hmm. she is saved. And yeah. her whole family is saved. Yeah, and later on, honored in Hebrews 11. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's in the line of David. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't get much better than that. Right. <laughs> so, um, this, you know, all of this is, I think, yeah. really important to recognize when you deal with the issue uh, because it helps us see that things are maybe not quite as simple as a one verse out of context makes it seem. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this this idea that uh, that understanding the Bible is just as easy as reading it sometimes uh, it it takes it takes work. Right. You know. Uh, another thing that I want to point out about um, maybe a preliminary uh, point of context would be that to understand this uh, from a Christian perspective, in other words, if someone wants to levy an attack against a certain perspective, they need to understand the worldview from which that person is giving this information. Right. And, and from the Christian perspective, God is the one, has the authority, he's the giver and taker of life, he has the right to, to, to do things, certainly because he has um, attributes which we don't have. For example, in this case, God does know what would happen had he not sent Israel in to judge a certain nation. Right. And he knows whether this would have proved to be for the overall good or bad um, for the maximum number of people. And so this is just a point uh, of maybe contention that 
we do not have the uh, the position to speak to, and so that's the that's the sort of perspective that the Christian is coming to it from is saying, well, God is all knowing, and He is proven to be uh, good, right. and so from our perspective, God does absolutely nothing wrong and has perfectly justified in giving this command. Right. But for the unbeliever coming at it from a completely different worldview, it just it's hard to make sense of that. It's hard to step fully into someone else's shoes. Right. And so I think that would be worth noting. And so God does know whether or not the certain people would have repented, uh, given more time. Um, and so those are, those are some things that I thought was, was worth talking about. I also think that um, the whole idea of what, what the end goal was, right? God, God is not just interested in annihilating a people. If he was, then when Israel made the uh, the treaty mm-hmm. with the Gibeonites, yeah, God would have said, "No, mm-hmm. like go, you know, the, it, it's more important to me f- to the Gibeonite, Gibeonites to be destroyed than it is for you to keep this treaty." Mm-hmm. What God's concern was was destroying the the idolatry and the injustice, right? Stopping the injustice, destroying the idolatry. As a result, if you if you read the text, the the refrain we hear is to drive out mm-hmm. the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. So if the Canaanites would have fled, yeah, they would not have been killed, mm-hmm. right? I mean, don't you yeah. think? Or converted, right? That that was that's an open option as well. Either one of those. I mean, that's not it. There was there was never that I know of um, a conversion out of compulsion, right? Convert or die. Right. That was never given right. from Israelite. Uh, but if a Canaanite was to wander into Israel and say, I want to serve Yahweh, uh, perfectly acceptable. Right. And would not have been Killed. harmed at all. Right. You know, your thing, your point is just just as notable that um, if if one would have fled, then there would not have been harmed. Um, the other thing that I think worth mm-hmm. considering is the fact, and you kind of alluded mm-hmm. to it earlier, mm-hmm. is that just... It's obvious that a lot of the language is hyperbolic whenever mm-hmm. it says everyone was destroyed, everybody was killed, no woman was left living. Yeah. Because in the same text, in Joshua and into Judges, we read about mm-hmm. these same people groups still existing yeah. and being either subjected to, to labor yeah. or um, you know slowly assimilating into Israel. Mm-hmm. We don't see... Even within the text, it's obvious the author knew that everybody was not destroyed. Right. That this was language that was just used. Again, stock language. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't the reality that everyone was annihilated. That's that's one thing that Paul Copen really brings out is that... uh, is, and I think, perhaps, I'd have to look again, but I think John Golden Gay as well, about the idea of a one-time quick wiping out of this nation is a, is a false idea. It was slow. It was infiltrated, um, tactical warfare that was again and again over time that would give them, like you were saying earlier, this is the main reason I want to make the point, it wasn't like you just had to run at a moment's notice and abandon all of your home and everything uh, and leave all your, your friends and family behind because you got to hightail it out of there because Israel just moved in. Right. you got a day to get out. No, this is over a long period of time. You had time to pick up all your belongings, all your family. Well, you know, we've heard them coming in. You know? <laughs> it even goes back to something he brought out yeah. that I'd never thought about. Yeah. Whenever they, they do the Jericho thing, mm-hmm. they go around it for seven days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if everybody in Jericho would have said, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. 
then nobody would have died. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true, yeah. They had seven yeah. days of opportunity yeah. to escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not so, to mention 430 years to change their way. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think all that's really important. The other thing that I think is interesting that he brings out mm-hmm. and um, is this whole idea of in the prophets, mm-hmm. he mentions um, where the prophets foretold a time when the Canaanites, or when members of the Canaanites, would be brought into God's purposes and family. So in the prophets, he actually talks about how um, people, the peoples of the Canaanites will be brought into the purposes of God. Let me read you part of mm-hmm. this. This is from page 187. Mm-hmm. He says, For instance, in Zechariah 9, God begins with a promise to humble and judge the Philistines, and, quote, Then they will also... Or then they also will be a remnant for our God and be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron, a city in Philistia, um, like a Jebusite. In other words, the Philistines, Israel's longstanding enemies, will become a redeemed remnant and will be incorporated into God's people, mm-hmm. like one of the tribes of Israel. They will be like a Jebusite. The Jebusites were a Canaanite people that were eventually absorbed into the fold of Israel. Mm-hmm. But beyond this, God's salvation extends to all peoples, even the Canaanites, some of whom ultimately become part of God's redeemed remnant. This theme is mm-hmm. reinforced in Psalm 87, which lists Israel's chief oppressors, Egypt, Babylon, and Philistia. These nations in Israel's hall of infamy will one day be incorporated into the people of God. And this is, comes from the psalm. I will record Rahab, which is Egypt, and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush. And will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. And then Isaiah prophesies about the, the Gentile nations of Egypt and Assyria becoming incorporated into the people of God. And these are like some of the, the number one <laughs> yeah, enemies of God and enemies of God's yeah. people. It's the bad guys of the story if you had to pick one. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> then you, you consider the fact that Jesus, in his ministry, yeah. ministers to a, quote, Canaanite mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we see that, you know, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. You have to keep the end, you know, what we find in the New Testament, God's yeah. ultimate desire yeah. in mind, yeah. even as we read this. Yeah, and to touch... To touch a little bit more on that whole idea again about the the worldview in which the Christian is operating from, there are, and this is mentioned in the book as well, a whole spiritual realm of what he calls cosmic powers or uh, this <coughs> idea of that there are, whenever the Bible mentions other gods or or something uh, of that, or, or power. Sometimes um, principalities, authorities are mentioned. Um, it's like there's this whole unseen realm. It's almost like there's a whole <laughs> unseen realm. That's a, a make a good uh, book title. Yeah, yeah. You you know what? Call my Kaiser. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, that that idea of of being under the uh, the tutelage, if you will, of Literally demons, right? You know, uh, and and Yahweh is overcoming these these false gods, um, not at the uh, expense of people. Uh, those people have yielded themselves to these to these other uh, false gods and are now following them willfully. Uh, but there there is this whole element at play here in which um, is not often thought about, not even 
not even hinted at in the conversations uh, sometimes with the idea of this uh, earthly warfare being a, a a very natural offshoot of cosmic warfare. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And so uh, I think we're getting near uh, our maybe limit time in the podcast. Yeah. But I think we've dealt some pretty uh, decisive blows to the uh, caricature that's often painted in this issue. Uh, and <clears throat> this is probably only, what would you say, maybe 10% of what Copen has in the in the chapters? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I would, for anybody who has questions about the Old Testament, kind of the morality of the Old Testament God, yeah. as people would say, um, yeah. I would highly recommend uh, this book because I think he deals with a lot of those questions, mm-hmm. questions like, you know, what's up with all the dietary laws yeah. Um, yeah. and Mis- cleanliness and miso- yeah, women and slavery. Yeah. Um, and he does it all in a really, I, I think he uses some of the latest scholarship on the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah. Um, to answer a lot of these questions. I think it's just a phenomenal book. It should be in every pastor's library because for, you know, I think most pastors, these are kind of the kinds of questions that we're going to come up against more and more in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do think it would be worth reading this quote that uh, he, he pulls from Miroslav Volf. Okay. Um, so he was born in Croatia, Miroslav Volf, and it lived through the nightmare years of ethnic strife in the former Yugoslavia and um, included the destruction of churches, raping of women, the murdering of innocents. And this is what he said, and I think maybe this would be a good way to close with this quote. He says, because it touches on this whole issue, Mm -hmm. I used to think that wrath was unworthy of God. Mm. Isn't God love? Shouldn't divine love be beyond wrath? God is love, and God loves every person and every creature. And that's exactly why God is wrathful against some of them. My last resistance to the idea of God's wrath was a casualty of the war in the former Yugoslavia, the region from which I come. According to some estimates, 200,000 people were killed and over 3 million were displaced. My villages and cities were destroyed. My people shelled day in and day out. Some of them brutalized beyond imagination, and I could not imagine God not being angry. Mm. Or think of Rwanda in the last decade of the past century where 800,000 people were hacked to death in 100 days. Mm -hmm. How did God react to the carnage? By doting on the perpetrators in a grandfatherly fashion? By refusing to condemn the bloodbath, but instead affirming the perpetrators' basic goodness? Wasn't God fiercely angry with them? Though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. Mm. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Amen. That's so good. Yeah. And I think it uh, it touches on that very thing you said before the podcast started, that sometimes the allegation against uh, against God is um, is wondering, you know, how can God be good when there's so much evil in the world? Right. And then whenever God makes a decision to deal with evil, those same people will rise up and say, how dare you right. show your wrath? Absolutely. And so it's just a, it's just a lose-lose whenever someone is not willing to... Uh, understand or even get to know uh, the God of the universe. Absolutely. All right. So thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time and perhaps we'll deal with uh, one of my uh, issue verses and that would be Hosea 
915. And so maybe you familiarize yourself with that. All right. Thanks for joining us.